It's a joy to be able to, to read 2 Corinthians 10 together, to see all your faces. And, you know, I think one of my favorite things about this church is that so many of us are involved in so many different kinds of ministry, right? We, we get here and we look at one another and each one of us represents a ministry that we are trying to carry out for the glory of God. We have pastors and deacons and missionaries and growth group leaders Right? We have foster care providers and people who are working in orphan prevention, benevolence ministry, hospitality, ministry to immigrants, civil servants like police officers and teachers, and parents. God bless your ministry. My hope is that for the next few moments, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, my hope is that I can be of some help to us as we think about uh, the various ministries that God has given us. And so let's pray for help this morning to that end, can't we? Father, we love you. Uh, We're grateful to be here this morning uh, in your creation, to live and to breathe. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it reveals who you are to us. Now, Lord, I pray as we look to your word, help us to enjoy your grace. Teach us to live by your word and to reflect your character to the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've been here for the last few weeks, uh, you know that we have been uh, walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and talking about gospel-motivated generosity. We ended last week in chapter 9, verses 15, that says, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And then we get to chapter 10, And Paul says, okay, church, I'm coming to Corinth and I'm going to bust some heads if you can't get it together. I don't really know how to segue from gospel-motivated generosity to Paul defends his ministry. Kind of like uh, Monty Python, right? And now for something completely different. We've been walking through this letter of 2 Corinthians for the last several weeks And as we've journeyed through it, we've picked up on the reality that there's been some conflict, right, between Paul and this church. There have been previous visits and previous letters between Paul and the church, and things are not exactly uh, simpatico. There's some some tension in their relationship. But it wasn't all bad, right, because we saw back in chapter 7 that Paul had gotten word from Titus, one of his associates in ministry who had been in Corinth, Paul had gotten word from Titus that many in the church had actually heeded Paul's previous warnings, and they had repented from their foolishness and likely wanted to mend their relationship with Paul. But there were still some in Corinth, there were were these false apostles or false teachers who remained very critical of Paul. As one commentator put it, there were some in the church who were being dazzled and bamboozled by these false apostles. They criticized Paul in order to undercut his authority so that they themselves could impress the flock and portray portray themselves as superior to others and gain positions of influence and power. There's a lot of context here, and so I think we're going to have to do a little bit of work before we actually get to chapter 10 so that we can really understand it and apply it. Um, But these false apostles, right, they they were criticizing Paul, and they said that physically he was unimpressive. I can identify with that. 
rhetorically, he was unskilled. That is, he was a bad public speaker. They said that his, his administration and his planning skills were lacking. He was unreliable. And they said that his character was unpredictable. In his letters, he was bold. But then when they actually got to see him face to face, he was humble. So the problem that they had with Paul wasn't so much with his theology, was it? It was with his methodology. And unfortunately, this is a trend that has endured through the ages. There are people, oftentimes in the church, who want to undercut the authority of elders and leaders. And I think at the very least, 2 Corinthians 10 warns us that we have to watch out for these people, right? Constructive criticism is obviously needed because none of us are perfect. And we welcome constructive criticism because we know we need it. But the reality is we should be on the alert for wolves who are characterized by a critical spirit and who would always seek to destroy and never to build up. So at the very least, there's a warning for us. But these false apostles who were in Corinth have put the church in a very dangerous situation. Right? Paul understood that the danger was that by disparaging Paul, they might delay the progress of the gospel or even cause some to, dis- to discard it altogether. And so Paul finds himself in the awkward position of having to defend his ministry to the church that he planted. And what he wants them to understand is that his ministry is shaped by the cross. And it's shaped, uh, because it's shaped by the cross, it's characterized by both humility and authority. So these false apostles and those who are listening, listening to them, they failed to understand that Paul's ministry not only communica- communicated the cross, it displayed the glory of the cross as well. See, the cross of Christ determines not just what we say in ministry, it determines how we behave in ministry, right? The cross gives us the content of what we say. We, we preach a message of Christ crucified, but it also gives us the method by which we carry out our ministry in humility and sacrifice and also with boldness and authority. And it was this, these two points, humility and authority, those were the targets that the false apostles were aiming at in Paul's ministry. And so here's the big idea, I think, from 2 Corinthians 10. It's very profound. Uh, Cross-shaped ministry is often misunderstood in terms of its humility and its authority. Any questions? I think we can go home now. Cross-shaped ministry is often misunderstood in terms of its humility and its authority. And so 2 Corinthians 10 is helpful for us uh, in two more, two maybe additional ways. One, it prepares us, right? As we think about our ministries and being shaped by the cross as Paul's was, right? If we're, if we're shaping our ministries after the cross, then doesn't it make sense that the way in which people misunderstand the cross will be the same ways in which they misunderstand us and our ministries and what we're trying to do in ministry? Chapter 10 paints a portrait for us of cross-shaped ministry to critical people. The reality is, if we're shaping our ministries after the cross, the criticisms will come. And chapter 10 prepares us, lets us know that that those criticisms will often come. They'll often be aimed at humility and authority. 
Another way that chapter 10 prepare, uh, that chapter 10 helps us is through examination, right? Because let's not kid ourselves. We may actually suffer from the same misunderstandings about Christian ministry that the false apostles did. And so as we work our way through chapter 10, let's examine ourselves and maybe even correct our thinking about what it looks like to do Christian ministry. So here's the roadmap, okay? In verses 1 through 11, Paul focuses his defense on his humility, and he's going to correct three misunderstandings about his humility. And then right around in verse 12, the focus shifts a little bit, and he, he begins to, to defend not, just, not his humility, but his authority. And he reminds the church in Corinth where his authority comes from, that is the source of his authority, the purpose of his authority, and then the result of being faithful and exercising that authority. So if you're taking notes this morning, that's, I guess you could say that's, that's two points and three subpoints each. So let's get after it. Paul defends his humility. The first misunderstanding that he corrects is that being gentle is not the same as being timid. He begins this defense with a gentle request and a bold warning. He says, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He picks, he picks up sarcastically on their criticism of him. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. Here he is doing the opposite, right? He says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. The charge against Paul is that he was bold in his letters, but once he came face to face with them, he was, a, he was timid. He was a coward. You might say he was kind of like the Wizard of Oz, right? So they thought. Behind the curtain, he was almighty and bold, but then when you pull the curtain back and you see him for who he really is, he was just a bumbling old fool. But they failed to understand that his gentleness was not a sign of timidity. His gentleness was not a sign of weakness. Rather, it was a reflection of the glory of the cross. When we look at the cross of Christ, what we see is a gentle act of mercy toward us as God's Son bore the judgment that my sin and your sin deserved. When we look at the cross, we see a gentle Savior. Jesus, the King of Heaven, who could have called down legions of angels to his defense to slay his enemies. But instead, what does he do while he hangs there on the cross? What does he say? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so through the cross, God makes his enemies his children. We have a gentle and kind father. Being gentle is not the same as being timid. And so as we pursue cross-shaped ministry to others, let's not let the fear of being thought of as weak or timid keep you from displaying this kind of gentleness and patience. Being timid comes from a place of fear. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to get on anyone's nerves or have anyone think that we might be crazy. Being timid comes from a place of fear. But being gentle comes from a place of confidence and strength, right? 
Many have pointed out that gentleness is not the absence of strength. Rather, it is strength under control. Being gentle is not the same as being timid. Sometimes people think that Jesus was timid or weak, that the cross is a sign of weakness. No, it is a sign of strength. And when we see the gentleness and the meekness of our God displayed at the cross towards sinners, we want to display that in our ministries, don't we, as we pursue ministries that are shaped by the cross. Being gentle is not the same as being timid. The second misunderstanding that Paul corrects is that being human is not the same as being powerless. Verses 3 through 6 are the most familiar verses in the chapter, I think, where Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Being human is not the same as being powerless. These false apostles had charged Paul with walking according to the flesh, and that could mean probably a few different things. Uh, it, could mean, it probably means that he was operating by the world's standards or that he had worldly motives, or maybe even that, uh, that his, his ministry did not exude any spiritual power. And so they tried to use that against Paul. But Paul doesn't really entertain their criticism. He's not interested in getting in a shouting match with these knuckleheads. Instead, he acknowledges two realities in verses 3 through 6. First, he says, we, we do walk in the flesh. We do have physical bodies. We are subject to limitations and weakness, right? We are clay pots. We do have thorns in the flesh. We are human. But he also says that we're fighting a spiritual war. As we pursue cross-shaped ministry, we are fighting a spiritual battle. And so these false apostles were fighting the wrong war. They were striving after worldly power and human accolades, and those things don't last. Right? But in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, mm. against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The cosmic powers over this present darkness. What are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> We're just human. Now, as humans, we fight in this spiritual war with spiritual weapons that have divine power, faith, hope, love, righteousness, resurrection, the truth that we have in God's word, the gospel, forgiveness, prayer. I can keep going. Even our weakness is a weapon as God glorifies himself through us. The reality is the kingdom of God does not grow by crusades. The primary strategy that we use to fight in this spiritual war is not political domination. Right? You can't coerce submission to Christ. And it's also not cultural imitation, right? 
How many times do Christians just want to look like the world in order to win the world? We have Christian movies, worship services that look like rock concerts, testaments. Get out of here with that stuff. Political domination, cultural imitation, those things are weak when compared with the divine firepower that we have been given to fight in this spiritual battle. My brother Kilo reviewed my sermon uh, in preparation for today, and he gave me some good, uh, some good application. I'm, I'm going to quote him. He said, We testify to the power and legitimacy of God's kingdom with compelling love and unity as the church. That's how we fight in this spiritual battle, standing side by side on the front lines. We love one another. We pursue unity together. We maintain the faith. We keep the hope. We pursue righteousness. We insist on the truth of God's word. We proclaim the gospel. We forgive one another. We pray fervently. And we don't deny our weaknesses, do we? That's how we fight in the spiritual battle. And so as we pursue cross-shaped ministry, let's be sure that we're not fighting the wrong battles with the wrong weapons. And look, the truth is, this spiritual battle that we're fighting in has already been won. Because when Jesus hung there with his arms nailed, outstretched on the cross, he was not in a position of surrender, was he? He was saying, this is what it looks like to win. This is what victory looks like. This battle's already been won, and so we fight like winners. Being human is not the same as being powerless. The third misunderstanding that Paul corrects about his humility is that being faithful is not the same as being conceited. Right, verses 7 and 8. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which, by the way, the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, he says, I will not be ashamed. It seems as though the false apostles thought Paul was boasting a little too much of his authority. That Paul, though he was being faithful, in their eyes he was being conceited. And so, Paul understood that his authority came from the Lord, and that it was to be used for building up the church. And so he won't apologize for insisting on that authority. Right? When he insists on his authority, he does it to be faithful to the Lord, and he does it for their own good. It's not to scare them, verse 9. Though they misunderstood his ministry, he insists on his authority to be consistent with his calling, verse 11. Right? Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul wasn't being conceited in asserting his authority. He was humbly and faithfully carrying out the ministry that God appointed him to. He accepted his ministry and he acted accordingly. Now, when we fulfill our ministries, we proclaim truth, we call people to be reconciled to God, right? we might be uh, criticized as conceited or judgmental or even hypocritical. 
but don't let those things keep you from being faithful in cross-shaped ministry. Obviously, we don't want to invite those criticisms by actually being conceited. But don't let the risk of being thought of as conceited keep you from pursuing a cross-shaped ministry. I don't know that I can give you uh, an example of uh, when I have insisted on my own authority, or insisted on uh, the authority of God's word, um, and stayed the course and been criticized by it. But I could probably give you time and time again an example of when I have let the fear of being thought of as conceited or judgmental keep me from being faithful. I could tell you about that all day. But don't let the risk of being thought of as arrogant or judgmental or hypocritical keep you from proclaiming the gospel faithfully. The reality is we give an account to God for our ministries and not to those who may falsely accuse us. Being faithful is not the same as being conceited. So we're now right around in, verses, uh, in verse 12, Paul shifts the focus a little bit. He's been defending his humility. He's been uh, correcting these misunderstandings about his humility. And now he's going to defend his authority. And the first thing he says about his authority is that it comes from God, not from being superior over others. Now, this was the real issue for, the, for the, the false apostles, right? They wanted to cut Paul's feet out from under him so that they themselves could maneuver into positions of greater authority and influence. So Paul says, it's not that, you know, sarcastically again, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But he says, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits. We will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. The false apostles tried to claim authority based on being superior to one another, but Paul asserted his authority because it was assigned to him by the Lord. And so as we pursue cross-shaped ministries, let's remember that we have authority from God as well, don't we? It's not authority given to us as apostles. Are there any apostles here today? <laughs> I don't think so. It's not authority given to us because we're special or because we're better at this or that ministry than someone else's. The authority that we've been given by God for our ministries is this book. It's the Word of God. And we don't shy away from that authority. Rather, we insist on it. We build our lives on it. We build our ministries on it. We submit to it and we call others to submit to it as well. God has given us authority for ministry as well. And so to pursue a cross-shaped ministry means anchoring that ministry in the authority of God's word. I would even go so far to say that if you're not anchoring your ministry in God's word, it's not fully shaped by the cross. Now there may be no quicker way to get stiff-armed by people than insisting on the authority of God's word. So whether you're doing evangelism, discipleship, counseling, whatever ministry you're involved in, right? when you start telling people that this book has authority and that 
these pe- and that people should align their lives with it, you can expect to meet some resistance. And that's what happened to Paul. As he insisted on his authority, uh, they said in verses 13 and 14 that he was boasting of too much authority. Right? Back in verse, uh, in verse 8, he was boasting a little too much of his authority, but here he's boasting of too much authority. And so Paul will only insist on the authority that the Lord provided. He's not trying to invade on someone else's turf, right? The reality is the false apostles are invading on his turf. So Paul doesn't back down from the authority that he was given, and neither should we. The fact that our authority comes from outside of us should compel us to keep pressing on even in the face of opposition, even in the face of criticism, right? Because if God provides us with his authority, doesn't he mean for us to act on it? Doesn't he mean for us to use that authority for the purposes that he has designed? And that's what he's doing. That's what Paul is doing, and that's what we ought to do, right? The source of his authority, it came from God, and the purpose of his authority is missional. He has a missional pulse. He says in verse 15, We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Why? Why does he want to maintain his influence? So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. The purpose of his authority is missional. These false apostles were trying to gain disciples for themselves from within the body of Christ. They had made the church their own personal mission field. But that wasn't the purpose of Paul's ministry, and it's not the purpose of ours as well. He wasn't interested in keeping them under his thumb. Paul's agenda was to keep the gospel moving through Corinth, not that the gospel would stagnate in Corinth. This church was meant to be ascending church. And so cross-shaped ministry has a missional pulse, doesn't it? It can't just be focused on the body of Christ. There has to be an external focus of our ministries as well. If we think about it, the greatest missionary act, Jesus coming to earth to live as a man, living a perfect life, dying a death that he didn't deserve, right? We deserved it. And being raised from the dead. How can we claim to be shaped by the cross if we're not reaching out to more and more people who need the cross? We have to think missionally about cross-shaped ministry in order to be fully cross-shaped. Right? If we dodge the mission, we despise the cross. So the purpose of Paul's authority, the purpose of our authority in ministry is missional. It should have a missional pulse. And thirdly, the result of this authority is commendation from the Lord. What could be greater than being commended by the Lord? Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. We can commend ourselves all we want to. We could build our resumes We could boast in our accomplishments, but God isn't impressed by that. And quite frankly, neither is anyone else. What matters 
is being applauded by God himself. Imagine for just a moment. Imagine pouring out your life in cross-shaped ministry with all humility, resting on God's authority, not trying to be superior to anyone else, just trying to be useful to the master. And then when you get to the end, you hear from the lips of the one that you've been glorifying the whole time. Well done. Well done. You have been a good and faithful servant. Come enjoy all that is mine. Is there anything better in the whole world than being commended by the Lord? May God help us to stay faithful, to not back down from cross-shaped ministry, to display both the humility and the authority of our Savior. It is hard. It requires sacrifice. We will be criticized because it's often misunderstood. But the commendation of the Lord makes it all worth it. This is the result of pursuing a cross-shaped ministry. God gives you a pat on the back, not somebody else. Not that we have earned his love or his grace. We can't do that, right? It's God who empowers us to do this ministry. But when we do it, Paul says that the Lord commends us. What evidence of his grace. Let's pray to that end, shall we? That we might be commended by the Lord in the way that we pursue cross-shaped ministry. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness. You are generous to us. You are compassionate towards us. Even the fact that we are here and we can pursue ministry, that you involve us in this ministry of reconciliation. You have called us as ambassadors, as evidence of your grace. Father, I pray for us now that you would keep us faithful, that you would keep us humble, and that you would make us bold for the gospel. We're grateful eternally for all the things that you do for us. Help us to be obedient. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.